Welcome to the Technory Podcast. I'm your host, Scott Katoon. We've got another great show for you today. J.C. Grubb, CEO, founder of Tandem, formerly DevMind, if you've been around the scene for a while. Uh, J.C. and I talked about a bunch of things, most of which I thought were, were pretty interesting, actually. We came in talking about innovation and how... For me personally, it was a struggle to get any sort of you know grab in the ground with my first company on the innovation space because most of the customers and clients, whether they were media or, micro, or you know manufacturing or whatever it were, um, to say they didn't like the word innovation, probably an understatement. Now, every one of those companies has an innovation officer and they practice, uh, they, they say they practice, they attempt to practice design thinking and things like that that a lot of us in the, in the tech space have been using for a very long time. Um, but at any rate, very interesting conversation about where Tandem went, and then we kind of took it into this conversation about brands. And if you listen to the show, you know I love to talk about brands because it's I think it's very fascinating. And people who underestimate brands usually are just those that are creatively declined; they're not like capable of it, so they therefore you know shit on it. But uh, he had to make a big decision. I mean, he was dev mind for a bunch of years, and then decided about a year and a half or two years ago to change over to Tandem because, in his mind, in his dev mind. Uh, it did not, the name and the brand did not speak to what he actually did as a company. And Tandem does that. Uh, and the fact that they work with companies, uh, you know, quite literally to solve meaningful business and social challenges for the customers. And so the idea there being that they're very focused on a multitude of touch points with the customers of their clients. And that is something that, you know, if you say dev mind, I'm thinking you're just a dev shop. I'm not asking you for anything else. And quite honestly, if you're trying to scale a business, you need to be able to have multiple streams of revenue that your clients and customers can utilize. Otherwise you're going to be selling all day long. One funny thing I didn't talk about on the show though, is honestly the, the fact that some of the largest companies in the world have brands, you know, because they've shoved it down your throat, but they don't actually have like, you know, it's, it's, it's a weird thing where like large companies are very like, uh, I hear the word a lot in my office. It's, um, what is the word? Uh, business camo is the word that I hear. Uh, it's sort of this like blend in business. We just want to sort of like be a part of your company. No one knows about it. And then the, the sort of boutique companies, which are like tandem really, really sell their business on, on us sort of bringing some of our culture and fun and innovation to you. And, and that's a major asset. So if you screw the name up, uh, that's kind of a problem. We also wrapped up on the conversation around investing and how to be totally honest with you, even though we talk about raising capital all the time and it's a huge part of our business and a huge part of, of your business, um, it's not necessarily the way to go. Tandem would not be where they are today. They wouldn't even be called Tandem. Quite frankly, they might not even be here uh, had they raised money uh, the way that a lot of people do now, which is you know, traditionally angel rounds and so forth. But there's like a, a very clear choice that a, that a founder has to make in the early going, which is to say, I'm taking friends and family money and I promise, I promise, 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 I'll pay you back. And then, but no, 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 you don't have, you don't know my company and you definitely don't have any insight or any sort of control over the decisions I make. And that decision to, to not take money from angels and, and immediately get flung onto the, the seed begets series A, series B, series C by not getting in that position, it enabled him JC to, to make some pretty strategic moves. And we talk a little bit about uh, that in the interview. So we were going to, we're going to move over to the interview with JC and bring him in. But uh, before that, I've got to grab my mailbag here, the inbox because all of you people who are listening to the show, you can email us questions. We see a lot of stuff, so I might be able to help, or maybe I can just try to make you laugh or make you cry if I'm insulting, which I apologize for. Um, you can email us at hello at technori.com. You can hit us up on all social channels at technori, or if you really are so inclined, you can DM me directly at Katoon. Um, and that's probably how the best way to do this. So hooky fan is the name of this individual. I don't know if that's someone who just doesn't like to work or they don't know how to spell hockey, but hooky fan 
suggests this. And it's actually really interesting. So one of the biggest issues people have with apps like Facebook Marketplace, OfferUp, LetGo, Craigslist, etc., is that you have to both find a time that works and meet in some places that are not sketchy. Uh, you probably all just heard recently, there was like, I don't know, there was one or two people who got murdered uh, trying to sell some stuff on Craigslist. I don't know if that was in New York or wherever the hell it was. It was in the news just like a day ago. This happens all the time. I've sold a ton of shit on Craigslist. And I usually have them come to my house, which is probably also not a good idea, but like, I'm, I'm not going to say it, but I'm just going to imply it right now. This is me implying that there might be protective measures in my home that would eliminate the odds of you leaving alive. I'm just saying. So I do it at home because I'm safe. I know the place, you know, I know where to go. But for a lot of people, they just drive out in the middle of nowhere and, and what? You're going to put your life on the line for a $25 item on Craigslist? It's stupid. So what he's suggesting is sort of like an Amazon drop off at Kohl's. I would even go one further. You could have a consignment store made up, like eBay used to do this. You could have a consignment store set up. Like I think eBay actually did pretty much exactly what he's what a hooky fan is talking about, which is have a location where you drop off all the things that you're selling on eBay, and then the person can come and pick it up. You could go one further and have a consignment opportunity where people could come in and pick up what they want and then also buy other stuff, and then that store basically takes a small fee for making it convenient for you. You don't even have to go there. You can, you can just ship it there. So instead of shipping to someone, you just do that. So uh, anyway, it's an interesting idea. There are some issues in there that I think exist, um, but all in all, I think it's a pretty good idea. So uh, with that said, why don't we move over and bring in uh, the CEO and founder of Tandem, JC Grubbs. You guys launched, I don't know if it was launched this way, but it, it's an innovation company. Yeah. Like yeah. at its heart. Yeah. And um, as a person who, when I, when I came out of Northwestern, I, I was like, you know, face first into innovation and I was working with, and you'll get a kick out of this, I think. I don't know how much work you've done with, with manufacturers. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, but in 2012, I was rolling out and I was, I was in the innovation space and media was one thing. And I don't, I mean, I feel like they knew that they were all like media companies were all in trouble, Yeah. but they, yeah. they, they had this like arrogance about them. Like, well, you know, we figured it out when the newspapers went away and I was like, did you though? <laughs> you know, like it was like, I, I think you guys have sort of like passed the buck cause you owned a yeah. bunch of real estate. Let's just put text on screens and that's, you know, of course, naturally it, it won't have any problems. Right. And, and then, so like an idiot, I was like, well, what's the next area that I have a lot of connections in? It was like manufacturing. And I built my entire, I mean, the brand was even tech factual. Like I built the whole brand around like helping these people, which we'll get into on the show more about the, just the picking a brand and like how that all goes. But manufacturers were very, very not okay or interested in the word innovation. It was a buzzword at best. And at worst, it was a need for change. Yeah. And it just like caused a world of problems for me as I tried to get in a grant. I'm not proven also, which doesn't help, but like I just... I guess my question, like before we even get into any of, of tandem and like the, the company and yourself, the question I start off with ultimately is just like, how did you get off the ground? Cause you're what nine years rolling, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, how did you, so kind of the same, you know, general timeline, give or take, how did you get off the ground with innovation? What was your pitch in to get people to be like, I don't like, I'm not looking for a project based development company. I, I like, I need innovation. Like, yeah. how did you do that? You know, the pitch is really uh, reinvent yourself or die, right? And when we when we first started, we, we were really focused on, on startups. And so we, we acquired, I think, a lot of learning from how startups can be very nimble. They can quickly identify a new market. Uh, they can quickly pivot without, you know, the weight of a large organization. So a lot of what we do today is helping to bring that same mentality into large enterprise environments. Uh, they're looking in their rearview mirror and seeing 
startups and, and, you know, smaller incumbents start to creep up on them. And they're all in this, uh, this sort of fear-based mode of figuring out like, how do we, how do we avoid getting, uh, you know, going the Kodak route, right? Yeah. And so nobody wants the Kodak nobody route. wants the Kodak route. And so, you know, I think it's it's becoming an easier pitch when we go in and talk to chief innovation officers or CIOs. So like or, that didn't exist. Like I, yeah. if I could have gone and like, right. I'd like to speak to your chief innovation officer. Yep. I have access to some information that I think you're going to want to know. We didn't have that. Like it'd be like, well, we've got a person who was like, we, they had to had a product. That would be a thing that still exists. But to be totally honest in my pitch, and, and I, I'm going to guess that this happened to you a lot. I was originally de- routed to the chief marketing people. Oh, yeah. I was immediately said, like, yeah. oh, that sounds a lot like marketing. It's right. like, no, it's like literally your business yep. like yep. at its core. Yeah, we, we run into that, you know, still as well. And, and honestly, I think what we've one thing that we've gotten better at is f- from the outside being able to see a company that's ready for the type of, you know, disruption that we are going to create when we come into an organization, right? Whether yep. it be you know, modernizing technologies, uh, organizational shifts or reorgs, you yep. know, there's, there's a lot more to digital transformation and innovation than just, we need a fancy new widget that we can push out to our customers. Yep. You have to have the whole organizational support structure to really make that live. And that's, uh, I think, a, a value add that we bring to the table when we're, we're working with customers in that way. So when you get a cut, like, so as an example, if you get rerouted to marketing, is that a, a, a little bit of a telltale sign sometimes that maybe this isn't a good, like potentially a good client fit for us? Yeah. You know, we'll have like, a this couple don't more. value it like we do right. or whatever. Yep. We'll have a few more conversations, but oftentimes we're moving on to the next opportunity because they're just not at the life cycle, you know, part of the curve where they're ready for that just yet. And and so readiness, I think, is something that for a company like ours, we got to get really good at detecting that before we go in and spend a lot of time, you know, pursuing a customer. And yeah. You know, it's funny. I think like, I think this gets talked about a lot on the sales side of things, like, cause you're always trying to get your salespeople to be moving on and not wasting time with stuff that's not going to work. And it could be product fit. It could literally be like a, a customer that maybe just as a company, like our system and mission doesn't line mm-hmm. up with you. Um, but I do think it's like a really good practice that, that you have to, I mean, I, I almost wonder if companies that don't learn this just go out of business and we're not talking about them, yep. um, is learning the understanding of like, what is a good customer for me and what are the key symptoms of when they're not? And I don't want to turn business away. Like we always have this thing, we only want to do business, we don't do business with assholes is like our rule, <laughs> right. right? And so as a, that's like an easy, easy like baseline. Yeah. But then after that's like you don't want to say no to what could have been business. It was just you know it was lazy. We didn't we didn't do the extra things to to make this product maybe more customizable for our, our, our potential customer. Mm-hmm. But there is a certain line where it can be like diminishing returns at like multiple levels. Like you're yeah. losing time for your team who's looking into it. You're losing time in the sales cycle, and then ultimately you're you're working with a customer who you could build them the best thing on the planet, and they're still not going to be happy because what their expectations were. I mean. I'm sure you can go on for days on like the number of clients you've had who you did them a favor of like reducing the the price or like doing something that you would admittedly were like, we don't normally do this, but we'll do it for you. Yeah. And it's so funny because those are always the customers who nickel and dime the most and always like sit there and like poke holes in the thing you told them as a whole. Yeah. Yeah. And they're still sitting there. It's like, if only I could have gone back, you know, I honestly have no idea when I go back to the first company, if I could have just had the the gumption and also just the know-how to have like just said no yep. to a bunch of the first deals that I, I probably wouldn't even be here. Yeah. I think saying no in any business, whether it's, you know, consulting or product, et cetera, you know, being able to say no to the wrong customer is I think one of the 
the, I'd say the top two or three lessons that you've, you've got to learn. Uh, you're just, you're going to waste your time. You're going to get distracted by shiny objects, figuring out what your core offering is, figuring out what are those buying signals that say, you know what, this is going to be a great fit. This customer, they get what we do. Uh, they, they're bought in, they're willing to, to make the changes necessary to, you know, conform their organization in the way that's going to support whatever we're going to build for them. You know, those are the types of things that if you, if you learn those early, uh, you just, you, you end up in fewer of those situations where you have to say no after you've already said yes, which is never where you want to be. Well, and it's uh, like, I'll, you know, I guess we talk about this another time in other shows, but like the, the thing for me is always this push versus pull. And I just think like, and especially for your business, which we're talking about tandem, which is obviously your, your, your business, but there's like so much more to this because when you're in innovation and especially like on your side, you're, you say to be solving meaningful business and social challenges, which by its definition means that we're looking a little bit more holistically. We may not be looking at just like optimization things, but rather like legitimate like move your not just your company but your brand the whole thing is going to be sort of tailored around i'm, I'm just going to guess here ux and like customer mm-hmm. you know feedback and making experiences for these people uh that are better if you have to sell it i just think ultimately that company probably just doesn't believe in what you believe yeah, in right. and it's just like from day one it's like I'm, I'm pushing you into this deal rather than just like pulling you along yeah. and that's i think uh Believing in what you believe in is a really good way of, of articulating. I'm going to steal that because I think do so. That is exactly the the mentality that we want to have when we go in and, and vet a customer. You know, do they believe the same things we do? They might not be there. They might not be able to execute it on the way that we are. But yep. that that they believe in the direction and that kind of buy in is is like golden when you're working with a customer. Well, yeah, and then now we we start talking about the business side of it. Like in order in a business like yours, and we actually do a lot of stuff on the technology side as well. And it's like one of the biggest challenges that any small business has is the type of clients they get. It's either the company that is going to be in for the long haul repeatedly. Mm-hmm. We're doing projects for them or the companies that we do one project and maybe they come back to us. Hopefully they come back to us, but they come back repeatedly, but maybe not as frequently. If you don't have companies that are, um, you know, early on, you just want money. Yeah. But like in reality, if you don't have companies who have the same kind of parallel mission, mm-hmm then you're going to build a product form or whatever it is. And they're probably not going to maintain it the way that you would have. And it will yep. ultimately not be successful, which means they won't come back to you. Right. And then you don't have a business model to scale because you have to start building a fleet of call centers or something to sell the hell out of your business. Yep. When in reality, there's a gazillion businesses in Chicago. And I know you have companies all over the place, but like there's a, baz- a bazillion companies in Chicago that you could be working with at, like only 10 of hmm? and have a very, very successful business yeah, yeah. just running annual work for these 10 companies what is the if you had to like basically summarize the elevator pitch of like what tandem is and then let's start digging in a little bit of like what tandem was yeah sure and 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 you've had an an, an interesting i don't know if you think it was interesting but an interesting career and tandem has been an interesting business and and we're a lot of the companies in tech and we can go into this we've got the startup showcase portion we'll talk about later we invest in companies but that it all plays into one because there's this sort of raise capital, like there's this, this mm. seed, get your company going. And then if you have initial investors who are savvy, so if it's not just like brother-in-laws and things like right, that, yeah. there's an immediate expectation of return. Yeah. And if you are one of those fortunate or unfortunate few, that starts a direction that may completely not work for your business like yep. in the long, and you wouldn't have known that when you did it, but like in retrospect, it's like I'd never intended on building a business that was going to be on the Series A, Series B path. Like yeah, right. I was, I need startup cash. I'll pay you back when I can, and it's my business, not your business. 
uh, and that's a weird place to navigate. And, and you've had, you know, experiences obviously taking capital from from strategic partners that are corporate, and the corporate thing is a whole other yeah, you know sure. avenue of stuff. So tell us a little bit more about Tandem as a as a whole, sort of when it, when you started it and yeah. where it is today. So we started about uh, eight and a half years ago. Um, at the time, we were called DevMind. Uh, it was a it was a name that I came up with that was I would I would say it was okay at best, uh, but it, it better fit what we did at the time. So it was we, unique. It was unique. Um, we started out, you know, really um, bootstrapped the business. Um, I'm an engineer by background. I've been doing it for 20 years now. And the the company that I was with at the time uh, was being acquired by Groupon. I had been there as a contractor for a while and didn't really have too much interest in selling more discounted spa services. And so, um, you know, decided I wanted to launch out was really fortunate enough to uh, take a, a customer from a past uh, employer and, and you know, myself and my co-founder at the time were able to, you know, serve the work ourselves, uh, which is, I think, the, the beauty of a professional services organization. It's really easy to get off the ground. Not so easy to scale, but easy to get off the ground. About, uh, I don't know, three or four years in, um, you know, we were, I don't know, a dozen people or so. And just really felt like we were offering a commodity service. We were effectively extra hands on keyboards when a customer, you know, needed to move faster. Yep. It's very difficult to be influential. It's very difficult to, you know, just practically like change your rates and that kind of thing. Well, and that's actually so like as a just as an aside on this, I mean, similar to the conversation I led with on the investment side, mm-hmm. picking and you don't really get to pick a lot of times um what business you're going to be in. Like ultimately you're the CEO and you influence, but sure the business comes in and the, and what you are the best at your unfair advantage is if you're smart is what you're going to follow. Right. And to your point about the scaling that if I'm just extra keys, it's not sexy. It's very hard to sell and you're very replaceable. There's no barrier. Mm-hmm. But that said, you can build a, a very successful business around that, yeah, for sure. but it, it requires entirely different assets and an entirely different skill set. And if you're a CEO and I'm not guessing, I don't know you that well, but like as an engineer, my guess is you're not the like rah rah guy who's coming around trying to rally the troops to go do some stuff that sucks. Right. Yeah. And that becomes like a very unfulfilling job. And there goes, I'm looking at your bio right now, and that's where I would cross off social good mission <laughs> right over there. <laughs> and it just becomes I am a pay to play guy. Yeah. Yep. And that's that's where we were. And I sort of woke up one morning and realized, and do I do we really want to be doing this? You know, uh, what what do we? How can we take what we've built here and and turn it into something that's, you know, really profound. And that's where I started you know, digging down into um, sort of the business value of design and design thinking and what, what are the things that larger corporations are really struggling with in, in, in that innovation space. And so we started building a design team. We started building a product management practice. Um, now we've just recently launched a, a managed services practice so that we can really be an end-to-end product development team as a, as a as sort of outsourced entity. So that that really feels almost like a, a complete entity would if you built it within a company. You know, you if you wanted to, if, you, if you're, um, you know, Underwriters Labs and you're saying, I want to launch a new product to my customers, you're going to find a product manager, you're going to find a project manager, you're going to find design and UX research, you're going to find engineers, you're going to figure out how are we going to support this thing on the long, over the yeah. long term. So our, our philosophy is we, if we can pull all of those capabilities under, you know, one roof, uh, that's it's a very easy uh, buy for a customer that doesn't want to build that whole infrastructure internally. Uh, these 
you know, our teams being cross-functional, they already know how to work together. We already have, you know, process. So it's a really, uh, a really easy sell at this point, but it puts us into the position where we are much more influential with the customer. We can help them way more holistically. And again, as I was talking earlier, we can help them with those problems that live outside of the product, right? It's not just, you know, the, the, the visual design and the bits on disc, right? It's can the whole organization around it support it? Can you sell it? Can you, uh, can you, can, can you grow it over the long term? Can you measure success with your customers? Those, those types of things, you know, and, and that's, I think where our value starts to, you know, expand. So that, that was a, a few years back. We decided to, to really shift the way that the business, you know, worked. And last year at the end of the year, uh, we made the change from DevMind to Tandem for that exact reason. We just were such a different company now than when we started. Um, tandem, I think, is a, as, a, as a word, uh, way better describes how we operate. We, yeah. We're co-creative with our customers. We're embedded with them very closely, but we also bring all of these practices together under one roof. And so it, it, it's a name that I think is uh, really special to the it's, team. So like, I, I want to talk to you a little bit more about the actual process of that. Sure. So like, I use this as a reference. I mean, there's a million of these examples, but I use Relativity and Kekura mm-hmm. as one here. It's like, you can see a rebrand and usually rebrands take place during bad times. Mm-hmm. It's like, we got a jumpstart, but there you'll see a thing like relativity was like, you know what we launched K launched under this thing. And like the biggest product that we had was called relativity and it was inside of this brand. It became bigger than our brand. Yep. And what we are, who we are, what we do is bigger than the name we led with. We didn't plan it. Tech factory was the name originally. Then I had one manufacturing client cause I wasn't stupid enough to keep doing it. Mm-hmm. And then the name didn't make any sense. And you know, and so like, there's a, a conversation to be had on just like how you did it. But I also think it's it's really, this is a good, like if I could take a time out and note to the listener on this, it's like, and we see this all the time, the amount of startup companies that have picked a name because there was a domain available <laughs> and then there was a domain not available, but it was a .co, but we removed a vowel to earn ourselves the M on the .com. Right. May I just warn you that while, first off, it's not the yellow pages anymore. So like, it doesn't matter no one searches like striker like it's not that's not (laughs) happening so like it's just stupid uh sorry striker but it's like one of those things that um i just think that if you don't understand who you are who you want to be and then ultimately like how you want people to remember you yeah like that's the most important part of the brand then you pick out the colors that are important to you and recognizable and you start google searching like what's popular and and you can like build stuff around your brand but like for me, you're one of the first that I've had come on who like was like my my name was DevMind, and in my mind, my mind spelled with a Y as well. I think very clearly you are access to developers who I can throw in. I, I'm getting your mind. I'm getting like what you know. I'm buying your knowledge, yep. and you're going to use it. But I'm not going to ask you anything about what else we should do. I'm not going to give you any insight in about our brand. I don't expect to have the conversation. Mm-hmm. I expect to just call you and say I want these three things, and you send me three things. Right. Tandem. I immediately know that we are partners. It's called partners. Like yep. the company is literally called like we work together. Right. Um, and that I think that like from a from for for you, you're you're the one setting the vision. So like for you as a CEO, you come into work every day thinking of tandem. You yep. were thinking of that at DevMind too, but it's just different because everyone else you can't control everybody. Right. And so now I think of like it's easier for you to manage your team and have everyone buy in and it's just easier to keep the culture high and, and all that, which is great. But your customers, when they meet you and your sales team and whoever else is reaching out, they don't have to try to hard sell you on this like one thing. They're like, no, no, we help. We work with 25 customers and then we help them 
in a litany of ways. And like you open up so many opportunities. Yeah. It's a, yeah. So I mean, like, not that you needed me to say a plus a year and a half later, but like, great. It's, 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 it really is a a very very smart spin for what you were doing. But to do that takes time and effort. And I'm sure there was many <laughs> restless nights of like, Ooh, yeah. If I change this name, are people just gonna like think I went under? Like, yeah. what the hell is gonna go on? How did you? What was the like the mini process, at least for yeah. you, like just internally to be able to say, like, I can do this? Yeah, I mean, I think we did a ton of internal brainstorming on the name, and I had written tandem on a post-it like at the very beginning of the process and didn't put it on the board because my assumption was, okay, there's probably a thousand different companies out there that use this word in their yep. name, and there are. Um, it, there's, it's just no chance. We're not yep. going to get a good domain name, et cetera. And so I kind of dismissed it, and a couple months later – we were back in the at the whiteboard again, and I said, "What the hell?" So I put it up there, and immediately everybody on the team was like, "That's it. That's the name. Yep. We got. That's what we got to go after." And so then then we went into a process. You know, can we get a trademark for this in some you know narrow way? Uh, what domain can we get that kind of makes sense? Um, what's the competition around look like? How, you know, so we we engaged our our digital marketing company, our SEO company, to come to the table to do some studies for us. We got our attorneys on, you know, doing a, a trademark search and. And really, um, I then went off and did a bunch of You're very of responsible, by the way. Yeah, well. my, my rebrand, <laughs> I didn't call anybody. I just did it and was like, yep, that's it. And if yeah. people don't like it, tough shit. <laughs> I think the thing that really convinced me, though, is I, I went out to, to customers and I said, hey, we're thinking about doing this. Um, you know, here's the story of why. Tell me, give me your reactions to that. And, you know, to, you know, every single one of them, 100% across the board said it's, it's a dramatically better name. Yeah. Um, it definitely better speaks to the way that you've been working with us. Uh, and we think, despite the fact that it, it's you know uh, a single word that that doesn't have any like particular spin on it, right? Yep. It just fits, and I think that's the thing that when somebody is it, it looks at your company name and says, you know what, I, I can't think of a better name for what you who you are and what you do. That's when you know you've hit on yeah. you know something really special. Well, I also think you like as a business you evolved to a point where, which is a result of picking good customers. To be honest, mm-hmm. uh, you evolved to a point where you extended what your offering was to more of a partnership. Yes, technology is of course our delivery mechanism, yeah. but not necessarily exclusively. Right, which is which is unique. Uh, the other part I want to talk to you. I like I like to just bog you down with all of the difficult decisions. The, the happy shit is. Easy to talk about, <laughs> yeah. um, but we can do that with drinks. We don't even need to record that. We don't want to make people jealous. The The part that is interesting also is you start this company. Did Now, did you raise money at any point during the early going of this or, or like other than just friends and family type of stuff, or did you just go it alone? Or? Yeah, we uh, we were incredibly lucky. I uh, When I quit my job and said, this is going to be my full-time thing, I said, I'm not going to eat ramen. So... I have to be able to make the same thing I was making salary wise when I left. And until we can do that, and we're not I'm not quitting my, you know, full time yep. job. So we had a customer lined up before we actually started. We actually started working with them and billing them a little bit. I mean, it was a very smooth transition. Getting from that to have to being able to pay employees on top of that, that's that was a challenging thing. But yes. we we grew organically with no capital um, for the first four years of the of the business. And uh and that's where we were approached by Motorola Solutions. Uh, they were looking for a partner that could basically wrap professional services around some of their platform offerings. Uh, as they're kind of in their business transitioning from hardware to software and services, uh, they you know, identified this pattern where a customer would, would say, hey, I want to buy that thing and this thing, but I need to get it integrated with my internal thing over here. Or 
you kind of check all the boxes except for this one. And so that that's they were looking for a partner that that worked the way we did, co-creatively and and design, you know, focused on design thinking. Uh, so they could take that to market with their customers to solve those challenges. They came to us. We spent about, a, I don't know, almost a year really kind of batting the idea around and vetting it out. And, and ultimately, I decided it was something that would be interesting for us. They provided some growth capital. Um, and now we work with their customers on an ongoing basis. We've got, you know, some people embedded uh, with with them to better understand their platforms. And it's, it's an interesting, uh, you know, vertical for us they're they're heavily in the public safety and, and more generally safety space yep. and, and that's one of uh you know my goals for the company is to work in you know really meaningful areas that impact people and there's nothing more impactful with people than you know life-saving uh technology so yeah so i this is i just um i guess I'll, another learning moment here for people but I, I just think that this is something that I don't think a lot of founders, and there's a lot of reasons why they choose the path they take, but there's, there's, this is one thing that I think anyone can learn from, and that is that, one, had you taken capital early on, and it wasn't just friends and family who didn't care really mm-hmm. what you did as soon as you paid them back, yeah. uh, I don't think you'd be able to just freely make the decision to change the name. I don't think you'd have the freedom to build organically and chase uh, early forms of revenue that are not necessarily your scalable revenue. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that you would have been in a position to take the money from Motorola Solutions unless those were a very, I mean, I just think it's a whole different contract. Like yeah. the deal is totally different. Yeah. The other takeaway for this that I talk to founders literally every week about this exact thing. And most of the time they're starting to warm up to it, but most of the time it is like a hard, like F you, no, it's my baby thing. Partnering with Motorola Solutions or any company for that matter provides you with such a unique piece of opportunity yeah in the sense that like one they're your best customer they also are incredibly vested in you quite literally but more importantly from a from a founder ceo standpoint you don't have the pressure of trying to return to investors who are looking for you to either go to ipo or to sell or to raise another round they're not here to do business with you to make money off of your business right they just want to know that you've got what it takes to be able to provide what they need and they know that we've got money in you so you are incentivized in every literal mm-hmm. way to make sure that you're doing the best for us but i'm not here to like micro i don't yeah. care and if anything like worst case scenario you just go your own way right best case scenario you keep doing what you're doing best best case scenario you keep doing your own doing and maybe we roll you up into into us and then you're you're literally set yeah and and i just think that like taking that approach whether it was you know on purpose or not i think that that sets you up to be able to continue to grow this and make this a company that maybe you know we we had we talked we just uh, did a conversation with active campaign Hmm. around for like 12 years yeah it's like a 20 or 30 person company until three years ago now they're almost 300 people right like that could happen to you and it's just a matter of like that would have that dream would have died two years ago. That dream would have died again, or would have died five years ago, whatever it was when you took the money from Motorola. It would have died again two years ago, but here you are and you've got that opportunity. So super interesting. We're gonna do the startup showcase segment here, if you Sounds don't good. mind. I'm yeah. gonna have you throw your headphones on. Sure. And then after the startup showcase, before we wrap, I'm gonna tell you a very short, quick, funny group on story because I think you'll appreciate it given <laughs> what you just said to me. So uh, before that, how about a little startup showcase? The cool suppliers, uh, we're the makers and the movers of the all-natural icy. It's kind of like a frozen smoothie. Uh, it's basically half fruit. The rest is water. I don't put a lot of sugar in it. It's a better-for-you kind of treat. Uh, we started selling out of the back of the van in Brooklyn, New York, back in 2014. Uh, flash forward to present day. You can find us in about 23, 24 of the 50 states. 
Uh, we're approaching five-figure total stores. Uh, the trend seems to be that everybody across the board, even Latinos, uh, uh, you know, poorer neighborhoods, people are starting to look towards and read the packages. We're trying to kind of make sure that we're serving those markets that seem to be vastly underserved. And we're doing very, very well. And we are, as you mentioned, uh, from a statistical and numerical point of view, um, achieving uh, some significant returns year over year. Uh, that's microventures.com forward slash cool suppliers. Very cool. All right. So um, I don't know if you were you able to hear that. Yep. Pretty well. Okay. So I've got like two directions here. One, there's not enough information for you to be like what I invest. So I'll fill in the blanks on one. They did about a half million dollars in revenue. Okay. Uh, they're up 55% this year. They were up you know, like 35% before that. And it's icy pops, which if you're up like a, a ice pop person, uh, it's that, but it's it's the healthy, natural kind. It's not like the sweeteners. And there was one thing. So up until this point, I'm going to say I'm going to pass, right? Like right at this, I, I'm just going to guess based on yep. your face that I'm going to pass. Here's the part that totally swung me. Hmm. Normally, so we actually, a week ago, we had another company, Blendtopia, call in. And they were going in every Whole Foods, and I did actually invest in them. It's I love blending, but I hate the process of actually like having to cut up fruit and stuff. Like no sure. one, no one's Nobody doing that, that shit. So uh, I love it. I bought the product; it's fantastic. Invest a couple hundred bucks. For those of you listening, if you didn't catch that, microventures.com, you can invest for like a hundred dollars. What he is doing, what what he is doing to like to this uh, product versus Blendtopia is he's not going to Target, he's not going to Whole Foods, he's going to Seven Elevens mm. in the poorer communities that where everything you see when you walk in is is terrible, yeah, terrible stuff for you. It's all garbage. Yeah, right. And he actually built a packaging to look not like ritzy, like green piece. Well, it doesn't look like a Whole Foods guy. Yeah, It actually looks like what you would expect when you walk in, but it's a healthy option. How's the price point? Is it- the price point, it's $2 a pop. Okay. So comparatively, it's it's literally like 10 cents higher than like the shit pops. Yeah, yeah. And it's right. like 60 cents lower than Whole Foods pops. So in my mind, right. it was like, I've never heard anyone say to me, I'm not trying to get a buyer from Target to Whole Foods. I'm literally just going door to door to 7-Elevens and all these like localized, and I'm bringing the ability to have a, a sweet, desserty type thing that is hmm. actually healthy into the communities. That was different. That is different. I I agree. That's that that is very different. I'd be curious to to know like what the where's the tipping point in terms of like uh scaling the manufacturing side yep. to profitability. They said around 5,000 stores, I think. Yep. What is that? You know, I'd, I'd love to look at like a projection to see at what point they hit a, a tipping point where they go fall over into profitability. If they're not already there, it sounds like they're not quite Yeah, there they're yet, not there yet. Do you do any angel investing or things like that at yeah, all? Or? Yeah, from time to time. It's like, what are the, like, so food is one of those things where I, it's like, if I don't eat it, I don't invest in it. Yeah. But food, like, what do you I pro- look for? I, so I don't like anything consumer facing yep. like i'm i'm a b2b yeah. person that's that's the business that i'm in so i'm able to vet it better yep uh i like um i like businesses that can prove themselves on like excel like we built everything in this stupid spreadsheet and we're selling it to customers right like those businesses are no-brainers to me where they can they don't have high barriers to to entry uh, they're able to get something off the ground without a whole lot of effort. There's no manufacturing involved, that kind of thing. It's not to say that I wouldn't at some point invest in in those those things. And the interesting thing about this this guy in in this startup is it it does have a 
uh, sort of a meaningful component to yeah. it, social component. There's, to def- it that there's do, definitely a mission based. I do like, like it definitely. I do that. like the mission based you know thing there. I'd love to. I'd love to also talk to him about what are the other sort of uh, product lines that he thought he could bring to market yep. in that same kind of mechanism. That, I, so that's I, that's yeah. the one hook for me on whether I'd invest in this or not is like the Blendtopia one. I invested in because I saw that you could have this this mechanism of like there's a million SKUs that you can blend healthy, hot, warm, cold, mm-hmm. frozen, ice. Like there's so many things. Yep. This is pops. This pops in and there's like other things you can add. And he didn't he hasn't built a brand around his brand, which makes me think that he's this is one product of many mm-hmm. to come. Yep. So that's interesting. The last thing I would add on that was you see people like that will literally sell like tamales out of the back of their their car when they're downtown yep. or whatever. And I always think like is there not not a restaurant because it's overhead, not a food truck? Is there some sort of way that they could could scale that up more? Mm. And some things just aren't meant to be scaled, and, yep. and I, I don't know. So that, it's an interesting one. So on that one, I it's just um, I think if you're into pops, then you should invest. And if you're not into <laughs> pops, then maybe you should hold off. That's that's my yeah. my two cents. Um, so I'm going to tell you my quick real real short story here, and then we're going to wrap up. Uh, and before we do that, though, where do people go learn more about Tandem and all that kind of stuff? Sure. Uh, we are at madeintandem.com, Very uh, cool. at madeintandem on Twitter, uh, and just search us on LinkedIn. You'll find us there. Simple enough. So here's my story, and I think you'll resonate with this. It's a, it's a short one. Uh, so when I was getting started with this first company, and, and I we were desperate to get lists and like get in front of people. And we had this like media thing we're trying to build, which ultimately turns into technology and all this other stuff. Um, Someone had, I won't say who had uh, approached me and said that we have access to the partnerships that would give us the mailing list for Groupon. (laughs) And like, if not localized, even national. And I'm like, holy smokes, like this is going to be the absolute best. So I'm excited. I'm telling everyone, I'm calling people, I'm prospecting, I'm calling a couple of my buddies in the the marketing world. I'm like, listen, man, we can do a deal where like I do the show and I build this, this like media new at the time was a newsletter Mm -hmm. and you guys can stuff some of your product inside of it. And then I'll get referral fees and that'll drive revenue so that I can pay for myself to do the actual business I wanted. And I literally, I mean, I couldn't be more excited. I make my first phone call to a guy who definitely, you probably know the name of, and he's in Chicago and he's built a, quite a media company. And he, he looks at me and he goes, who gives a shit? <laughs> and I was like, what? And it dawned on me at that very moment what he meant. Groupon, and you alluded to this before, Groupon is like for old people who want coupons and bundling stuff. Yep. It's not for people who are going to be buying like tech stuff and downloading apps. Nope. And in my mind, I'm like Groupon, fast growing tech company, Brad Keywell, kicking ass, taking names yeah. at the time. Yeah. And then, uh, and I'm like, I'm like, I got all these emails and they're all like 65 years old. Yeah. Fundamental business model flaw there. If, if you ask me, yeah, <laughs> I, I think would, they I found would... it out and they're pivoting, but like, yeah, it was a, uh, Yeah. We're on the same page. And it's so funny because in that <laughs> moment, like that was the moment, and this is year, I mean, this is almost yeah. more than five years ago, right. that it hit me that potentially Groupon could be in a little bit of trouble. Yeah. Yep. And that, and, and now in retrospect, the only people I know are like what I would call mothers-in-law. Mm-hmm. Yep. No offense. Yep. Like those are the people who do, <laughs> to, to do Groupon. Anyway, uh, JC, this has been super fun for me to talk to you and learn about it. I love the journey you guys have been on. Uh, if there's anything we can do or anyone in the community can help out with, uh, please let us know. Yeah, we'll do. And obviously people should definitely uh, check out Tandem because- We'd love it. You would love it. That's a good reason to check out. So thank you so much for coming on. Learn more about upcoming Technori events, investment opportunities, and check out the blog at technori.com. Download the podcast on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. And follow us on social at Technori or follow me at Katoon. Boom. That's a wrap.